Guess what? We've just started our very own Catching Up With Cub community and we want you to be part of it. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast now and join the community. Hello, Legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching Up With Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member Nick Hedges, the CEO of Resolve HR. Nick is widely renowned as Australia's most respected authority on optimizing people and culture. He's an author of a very well-known book, Is Your Team Failing or Kicking Goals?, In today's chat, Nick shares with me how to manage each team member's performance and progression, how to provide an environment that allows the team to thrive with open communication, trust, and strong relationships, and why it's better to work at an SME than it is at a corporate, which, trust me, it is. Nick is truly an expert. We could have spoken for hours. Enjoy the show. So you you are an expert in kind of company employee management, like HR, HR structure, how would you describe it? I describe myself as, yeah, as, as a highly experienced subject matter expert with all things to do with people, culture, HR, recruitment, learning. Um, I guess from an, in an industry's perspective, you'd say HR generalist, Um with yeah, and and I've been doing it long enough to I guess to say that you grow somewhat expert. of an expert exactly. <laughs> and, geez, and, geez, that doesn't sound humble. But <laughs> no, I that's why I said it. <laughs> we, thank you for saying it. But and, and it's such an important thing because, um, like even you don't even have to be a small company to not have um, I guess adequate HR, like in-house HR. Even a company the size of Cub, right, which could it could definitely afford to hire some HR people, but that's not the best allocation of its funds. So really a lot of companies, not just small, Mm. all SMEs are put into this situation where they kind of don't have this like armed forces of HR protecting the business from, uh, you know, legally doing the right thing on all fronts. Because I can tell you, I've like, when you come into certain situations with employees, and you actually get told what the actual law is yep. as opposed to like what you technically have to do. What you thought it should be. Yeah, to, 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 to I guess do it right and completely protect yourself. It's so absurd that no one will ever do it. It's just it would not be done and it cannot be done unless you have an army of people just doing it all. Which and the reason so, – so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that someone like you is pretty important because – you give these uh, SMEs who really a lot of the time they're in the they're in the dark about yep. you know they, yep. they can do them where, the, where Google is their friend yes right and, and you do your ethical thing like you do what you think is right yep. but often doing the ethical thing or doing what you think is right if you know can also bite you in the face because mm. it's not compliant or exactly and still put you in a major risk position yeah right? and and it happens a lot I often say um, people. People in small, medium businesses never wake up one morning and go, I've built my business really, really well. The one thing I'm missing is HR because small, medium businesses don't think that way. They think about I've got to build marketing, I've got to build sales, I've got to build my customer service function, right? So often we're called in because there's a trigger, because there's a termination that they need to to do. There's an underperformance, conflict, whatever it might be. So if they're not guided properly – often it's exactly as you've described. It's like, oh, my gosh, like what, what are we actually going to do and what's going to be the right thing to do? Because um, I feel like the rules are to, just so biased against the business, it's against the small business, that, you know, it's just you, you don't know what to do, how to do it. It's probably too expensive to do. You haven't got the mm. time to do mm. all these things. And I, I just think we need to best arm people with – um, with how to manage that part of their business. I think the legal landscape is not tilted in favour of employers anymore. I think it's much more tilted towards the employees. Um, the, the, the way that they're able to make um, simple, um, fairly cheap claims um, makes it very, very simple for unfair dismissal claims, all those sorts of things. So to your point, in terms of arming themselves, 
I guess we've created a model that cr- that creates affordability for small medium businesses that otherwise would deem them going to a lawyer, which is often not even commercial um, commercially viable for getting how much they're going to pay, but in terms of the advice they're going to give. So we often look at it as, okay, well, here's here's what you need to do from a regulation perspective or here's what the law is saying, but how do we create a really meaningful commercial outcome that's going to be good for both? And and ultimately we're there to try to protect the employer from more claims down the track. And from accidentally or unknowingly not doing the exactly perfect um, um, compliant procedure. Well, I think we've got to take a pragmatic view. You know, again, working within the framework of what the law is, but then going, okay, so how do how do we how do we negotiate this to be able to get the person out of there? Because that's ultimately, let's say, that's what they want in in a lot of cases, a termination, yeah, an employee termination, an employee yeah. termination in, the, in that sort of example, exactly. Um, but but the other thing is, um, we might have an underperformer who they actually don't want to get rid of, but it's like, well, how do we navigate that without? Um, breaking down that whole relationship because that's a really difficult conversation to be having with somebody. So how do, how do we navigate that sort of stuff, which is going to keep you um, as an employer on good terms with them, keep a good relationship, keep the relationship going for the long term because ultimately that's what you'd want to do. And so uh, your business, Resolve HR, you act on behalf of the the company and you help the company come to the best um you act in the company's – you're like an external, internal HR um, function which acts in the company's best interest to do with all HR functions. And like you just said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your goal is to come – is to kind of navigate a commercially viable option. Outcome. Outcome. Yep. Because, you, I mean, I've done the lawyer route and, I mean, Carbon often occasions has to go lawyer routes for things and – but it's just so expensive. Mm. Yeah. And and uh, for, for a smaller company, you know, having the ability to know how to ha- get a more commercially viable option, I imagine, is 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 essential. But and so, how did you get into this space? How, how, where'd you start your career? Where are you from? So, so the background. So I always did HR. Always did it. Um, left school, did um, two degrees within uh, HR, industrial relations, and. Always said to myself, well, I want to be in a people-related industry. Um, and I guess to some extent all businesses are people-related because we always got to deal with people. But I specifically wanted to be on the front end of that. And then I went down the corporate route, which for me it didn't really work. I, 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 gave it, I gave it a really good shot. But for me, I, and maybe I was too young to probably appreciate the pathway, but I always felt that I, I wanted to create something that was going to be meaningful for myself where I can actually – see the results and the fruits of advice and consulting that I'm doing. And I felt in, in the corporate world, if, 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 if I didn't show up one day, well, that's okay. It can wait. You couldn't see the direct effect. So for me, it was sort of a case of, um, I, I then dabbled a little bit working in a couple of small businesses, um, running their HR functions like, well, this is, this makes sense to me. This is meaningful to me. And, um, so, basically just one day to the next said, well, this is what I'm going to do. And it was pretty, pretty big leap of faith in myself. But, you know, that's sort of how it started. Well, it wasn't so many, wasn't like it was some grandiose plan of sitting down with a pen and paper and what's the five-year plan. It was sort of like, you know what, I'm just going to give this a crack. But it's an interesting train of thought because it's kind of like, well, I want to make, I want to feel what I get from what I get, what you said, why can't I speak today? But, but, it was kind of like I want to feel like what I'm doing is making an impact, or I'm impacting the world in a positive yeah. way. I, I, yeah. I want to feel important in the sense that I'm, I'm being, I'm doing important work for people. In a big company, you, you're, you're not important because you're just not. There's so many other people. You don't show up. No one knows. No one cares. You often can't see the result of your work. The clients are and, so far away. And I think in corporate, the machine runs itself a lot. Yeah. And and so. It's, it's in small business though, the impact, and this is to your point, the impact is so much more meaningful, whether it's HR, whether it's sales, whether it's X, Y, Z, it doesn't really matter. You can see the impact, right? If, if, if two or three of your staff didn't show up for two weeks because they're sick, big issues for you because you've now, you've got delegation issues, who's going to do it? Um, so for me being in this business, 
to see the impact of the advice that we can give, the help that we can give, the value that we can bring to give back is just, I can actually see it. To me, it's tangible. But there's also, the point I was trying to get to is it's like a ladder. You work at a big corporate, you're not important. You work at a small business, SME, you are important. You start an SME, you're the most important. (laughs) You know, you need to be. And so, you know, it's, if you want to make the biggest possible impact on the world through your through work, starting a business is is probably the best way to do it. I, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> but we're so, both business. But so. we are, I was going to say <laughs> we're probably coming from a bias slam. Um, oh, I'm because, completely biased. Yeah, because because we've we've had the experience of doing it, and we 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 love doing it. Um, both from an, our own business ownership perspective, but also for for helping the others. And you're as much a service provider as what I am. So I think you can see the impact. Totally, but it, but but it's just something I hear all the time. I was you know I was at a corporate. I didn't feel like I was making big enough impact. I wanted to make a bigger impact. I started my own business. And but but even when like I was interviewing, uh, we're interviewing a few people at the moment, and one of them uh, was coming from a corporate. I can't remember. It was like a finance company, mm. and. Um, uh, she was saying that, look, I, I, I was, pl- I did, I was, I did want to work at a bigger business. Like I, I was planning on going to a corporate. Um, and, um, but I, you know, after meeting you and, and kind of learning about what you guys are doing, I, I just find myself so excited, but what are the opportunities for growth here and, and that type of thing? And if there is one thing I have found in my days of work, is that people that work at smaller business, at SMEs, are smarter <laughs> than those working at corporates. Okay. And I'll explain my reasoning yeah, why. go ahead. And I believe I met a lot of corporates. I met a lot of uh, people that work at small businesses. Corporates are great specialists and they do one thing very well and normally not with a huge amount of heart. Mm-hmm. People that work at small businesses and sorry, and the corporates don't actually have to build anything, right? It's that you're not building anything. You're just a piece of a clog. You're part of that's, a, yeah, that's you're part there, of a machine. The machine's perfect. Just fill this slot for now. When we don't need you anymore, we'll get rid of you. We can put someone yeah, else. Yeah, the analogy is you're a factory worker. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's great. So you're not building anything. If you're not building anything, you don't need to be any good. <laughs> a small business or SME, whatever you call them, you're just not corporate. Yeah. You need to be great if that business is going to succeed and, and, and grow and hit its goals. And, and that means you grew it. Which you means can't. that you're more capable because you actually achieve. Doesn't mean they all achieve it, but it means that it needs better people, people that are more inclined to make an impact. Right. And so what you're talking about there is in larger businesses, often we are resigned to the fact that I'm in some ways I'm happy to settle for mediocrity. If it's okay, it's okay. In small business, you can't afford it. You can't afford to settle for just average. You've got to go for big hitters, which also makes it hard for small business because they've got to compete for talent that the corporates are taking. So salary and all that sort of thing needs to be at market levels and all of that. But that's how to compete. Right. It's by saying you're going to be more important. And There's the philosophy. more of an upside. Yes. You're, 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 you're part of this team. You'll be proud because we're going to build something together. You're going to be involved in building that. You're not just going to be someone that comes in, sits down, whatever. We don't care whether or not you even come into work or not. You can just do whatever. We don't care because it's easier to fire you when we need be when the economy collapses. Um, um, and what it, you're talking about there, Daniel, is actually building engagement. So you're building and engaging and, and you're talking about in the in the recruitment phase, like they haven't even been hired yet. And you're 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 in inverted commas selling them on, hey, you come and work for us. There is there is a great scope of stuff that you're going to do and you're going to grow with us, which you may not have that experience elsewhere. What I said to her straight up was (laughs) we are way smarter and better than the people in the corporate world and not just this team, but you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of human beings of whom run businesses and are growing and are ambitious and have ambitious teams and are growing. If you want to grow, this is the best place in the world to be. And, And I believe that, not just about Cub, but about... Uh, but but about not all because some small businesses just aren't great. But but most <laughs> mm. most yeah. They have well, to most be- successful small businesses have great teams under them. All, all of them, I would all, say. Yeah. yeah, and and um, you know, very few of them are prepared to put up with mediocrity. And I think part of that is they build engagement. The 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 the, the best ones build engagement early, 
continue that engagement. Engagement is about feeling connected. How, so, you, how well connected you feel to the brand, to the, to the business, to the people you work with, et cetera. How, in, in layman's terms, it's almost when I'm outside of business, how positively am I talking about this business, right, to others? Like, you got to come work with us. Like, this has been the most amazing experience, right? But also part of that then is for small business um, having great job clarity and and good recognition tools and 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 the social aspects and all of those sorts of things, which 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 I often feel, and again I'm probably biased just because I didn't love my experience in corporate. I often feel that the corporates talk to that, and there's a lot of great benefits to being in corporate. There's no question. I mean, but but I feel I don't know. Well, I was going to say job security, but they don't have that. Well, even now there's not job security, but I mean. Irrespective of that, I think I think what, what the value that, that we see in 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 being able to to work with the small business owners and and their managers and their leaders is to help them build this this feeling of engagement and and the structures and all of those sorts of things, which really just provide a great standing point, I think, to help them grow for future. Yeah. So, and I want, talk to me about building engagement in your team because, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm talking a lot of shit about big businesses. Um, and it's true, they deserve to be talked shit about because they also have a lot of politics and a lot of things. But at the end of the day, all business is pushing to become big business. And the fact that they're big business just means that they did things so well, their operations were so good that they were able to, and they were providing a product uh, that had a strategic advantage that, that they were able to get big enough operationally to actually be in that position where they no longer care what happens. Basically. In fact, not even encouraged to to push things further because we don't want you to change anything because we're already the big guy. If anything, we just want to squash the others from from taking over. Mm. But big um, business doesn't necessarily mean a lot of people either. Don't necessarily have to have ma- massive teams and particularly the way tech, you know, tech and all of that go as well. Yes, but, but they still have thousands of people. Oh, like, no, corporate do. Absolutely. Even like a Twitter or like a oh, yeah. Instagram, they're still having thousands of people. Uh, there, but well, you're, you're talking about the massive ones. Yeah, yeah. but sorry, but my, my point is that I talk a lot of shit about big business, and rightfully so because I think everyone should be going to SMEs. But but big business is basically the best SMEs ever became <laughs> big business As from little things, big things yes, grow. Everything of started small. Yeah. So, but but the point is to do that, you need fantastic operations, especially human resource, and. Um, building engagement, I would argue, is one of the most important things towards beca- towards getting big. Because, as we just said, in a small, in a corporate the team, in the, as a person, you don't matter that much. In a SME, you matter heaps, mm-hmm. which me- which means you're very important. Which means that the owners of the SMEs need to make sure that their team members are engaged. That's and so, right. how do they do that? Right. So we talk we talk a lot about that, and and one of the concepts I often talk about is what I call the, the the key elements of a high performing team resonate around a three-legged stool. And the three key elements are around trust, open and honest, transparent communication, and meaningful professional relationships. And the key there is around professional relationships. But what that looks like is that from an analogy perspective, obviously if you're missing one leg of the stool, what's going to happen? It's going to fall down. So as a as a business leader or as it even as a business owner, it's working with your team to work out well, what does trust mean amongst our team? What does that actually mean to us? Like when we're, when we're operating with trust, what does that look like for us? Um, when we talk about open and honest communication, well, again, how do we see that? And, and, and working out the boundaries of what is in and what is out. So often when we're doing training, for example, on something that seems to be like a compliant um, type area, like for example, bullying and harassment, right? I'll often throw in a question of going, well, where now then do we stand in our, if we know what bullying is as a definition and repeated unreasonable behaviour causing um, risk to health and safety, okay. If we know that that is the standard definition under the law. I didn't know that, but that's a pretty good standard definition. That's cool. There you go. And we're comfortable to, 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 to appreciate that that is the definition. So then where do we stand then on banter? Where do we stand then on nicknames in the workplace? Where do we stand on touching people? because some people are touchy and some people aren't touchy. So are we comfortable now as adults? So going back to the three-legged stool, professional, meaningful relationships, am I equipped from a cultural perspective? You talk about engagement. Am I equipped from a cultural perspective to be able to speak and say, hey, you know, for the last couple of weeks, you've been coming in and tapping me on the shoulder and going, how was your weekend? 
there are people I've I've sat in those in in those sessions and people literally put up the hand and said, "Please don't touch me. Uh, like I'm okay. I'm okay to talk about my weekend, but please don't touch me." Um, and it might surprise you that that was actually a male that said it. Um, and because we automatically think that that would be a, a female saying it and it wasn't, and it was a male. And he actually said, I'm okay with handshakes, high fives, the odd fist pump, everything else, please. I don't want to be hugged when I come back from a holiday and say, uh, and say that they've been missed. Um, you know, I, 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 if, if I look like I'm a little bit withdrawn, I don't want someone putting the hand on my shoulder saying, is everything okay? He said, just that's, that's that. And so when we're talking about engagement and we're talking about building that high performing culture, trust communication and and meaningful professional relations so key and that environment empowered him to be able to say I couldn't do this before I, cu- I couldn't put up my hand and say to you guys please don't touch me because I didn't feel empowered but now that we've run this session for example are we good and everyone's like I felt really bad about that now it wasn't he wasn't making them or wanting them to feel bad about it but by virtue of what he spoke he spoke his truth which was great and he was able to to work into that and lean into that trust factor with his colleagues I think the point is that people need to know who other people are, what they expect, how they act, um, and it's that empathy towards each other as a team that enables relationships to happen. That's right. Um, uh, if someone's upset about something, feeling free to say they're upset about that. Yeah. Um, if someone is told something trusting that as a leader you will deliver on whatever you said. And that I'm listening. And, and I'm not and, and not necessarily even going into solution mode, right? Like it's just, hey, listen, Daniel, I hear you. You know, what would you like from me? What support do you want from me as a, as a, as a leader? Because that's often what all they want to be that, that they want to be heard and and understood. And and often that's half half the battle. Um Another concept is sort of, and, and everybody would have sort of heard about this in their own sort of business worlds, is that iceberg theory, that, that if you don't drill deep to the person, if we only operate as a leader and as a manager or as an owner at the, at the tip of the iceberg, all we're, all we're doing is reacting to behaviour. That's, so that's all I'm seeing is the reaction to behaviours, right? But if, if I as a manager, going back to the three-legged stool, if I can build that trust that meaningful professional relationship, then actually underneath the surface, I'm going to get I'm going to get understanding around thoughts, beliefs, values, what's important to them, you know, dreams, aspirations, etc., etc., etc. Right. So it's really important that um, when we talk about engagement, that as leaders and owners of businesses, we're actually building what I would consider to be some sort of emotional connection. That you you it's not just a transaction. You're not just here to work for me. A little bit like what you were saying about that cog in the wheel with the corporate thing. It's like, boom, I'm just here. Now, often they they talk about engagement factors, but I'm saying it's so particularly more important in a small medium business where you, where you have close relationships with people because you work so closely together on a day-to-day basis that you develop all of those sorts of aspects. Completely agree. Mm. Because is in an SME, it is not just a transaction. Mm-hmm. It truly is a bond. And that bond does take time as well. Like there are times at Cap where I've seen someone new come in. When they start, it's really just a job for them. And in my mm-hmm. opinion, mm-hmm. it takes most people, not all people, most people. Yeah. In my opinion, it takes a year until they are they're one with the community. Yeah. They're, 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 they're not working anymore. They're now living this is part of their lives and it's it's become part of them being able to accomplish something in life and that bond is is very is a big point of difference for SMEs but also what i find it enables more honest communication for example when you have a bond with someone you are more likely to probably get angry at each other to be honest but that's not a bad thing because at least you know each other are angry, and That's right. and you know, but and if you've got trust and you've got a professional relationship, well, I can have the conversation with you. Hey, Dan, yeah, I'm a bit pissed off, right? And, and, and can I have can a conversation with you about it? Mm. And and if you've got that great professional relationship, you can say, yeah, let let. Do you want to grab a room or do you want to grab a coffee? Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. And 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 that is just so. It's just so. 
I, mean, I use the word important, but it's, it's, it's more than important. It's, it's essential. It's, it's like it's critical to success that if I don't have those, if, if I don't delve deep into that iceberg and I don't understand that person and I don't have that great relationship, I, 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 there's so many other factors that are going to, you know, they're going to leave. They're going to talk badly about me as a boss. They're going to, you know, retention factors. They're going to, they might even go on the web, websites like Glassdoor and, talk crap about us too. Oh, like, all hate, of that. Yeah. I hate everybody that does. does right? Right? If you're going to do it, be, yeah. be, be a man be or a woman and be up front and be do it front. with your name on it. Don't yeah. hide behind all oh, totally. things. It's disgusting. So, yeah. Those people, they're really, that's sad. But but 100%, having the relationship with someone, a key element of that is not just, well, I think it creates more open communication and, and trust. But but the other thing is it, it creates more longer lasting team. Mm. Because when you've got bonds, not just with your like leader, but also with your team members, when you've got these bonds, if you wanted to change jobs, you're you're losing those bonds because no matter how much you try, uh, I say we're still going to be, you're not talking to them anymore. And there's someone you're going to come in and they're going to have to bond with that person because that person's now on their same mission and you're no longer, you're gone. And you're going to lose those bonds. Mm. And that's the reality. You used to be friends. I email me every now and then. Maybe we'll go for lunch. But 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 in reality, we're not talking anywhere. You're going to create new relationships. Exactly. exactly. So, so that's become a big issue with work from home. When I talk to uh, uh. a lot of members and they say, oh, you know, work from – particularly tech members. Oh, you know, people want to work from home. And what that's doing is it's deteriorating bonds between team and leader and it's making it easier for employees to say, eh, I'll just change companies because – my life's not going to change. I still sit at home, but I can get paid 20 grand more at this one. And and they end up, and what I think is sad about that, because it sounds good, oh yeah, but they should get paid more. What's sad about that is they're not going to be happier because they've got less um, relationships and community in their life and they're not personally attached to anything to succeed. They're attached to a paycheck. And who gets fired first? When times are bad, the person that you're overpaid. And that's newest. <laughs> well, coming but coming back to your earlier point about the working from home and and linking that to engagement, I have a very simple philosophy for for leaders and managers, and it's often ask first, and then tell 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 second. In other words, ask the question, ask don't tell. So, when we talk about engagement of people working from home, and this has been an issue over the last few years, and it's in in terms of well, how do you keep them engaged? I often say, I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers, but the answers will come from them, right? Ask them what it, what is key initiatives that they might have experienced in other companies, or what what's what's an experience that they would like to have having work from, that they are working from home that's going to create um, connection. Um, we've had clients where they, for example, did um, a cooking class. Somebody at, at, you know on their team meetings were doing cooking classes or giving tours of their home or showing an artifact of somewhere where they traveled and just talking about that. Like it creates a sense of connection that, that yes, I don't see you and I don't have the personal day to day that physically there, but at least I'm creating that connection where I feel a part of what's going on and I don't feel removed. So I think that's, that's really important. The other point that I would just make to you around what you were saying around, um, well, I could leave for an extra $20,000 or I can go get paid more. One thing, I did learn, funnily enough, and it was a really effective quote that I learned um, back in corporate days, was um, I was working for a small time at, in, in, in the remuneration um, area of this, of this particular financial services company. And the head of – and the, the director said to me, um, we were talking about pay reviews and sh- should, we, should we just give blanket 10% or 20% whatever. And he said to me, Nick, remember this. Money is a satisfier for a day, not a not a motivator. Yeah, it's true. Right, and and the example was if I pay you a hundred thousand dollars today, it's not enough the next day. I well, guarantee it's not. I know that for but a fact. But go the other way. If I if I go, Dan, you've done a great job. I'm moving you from a hundred to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. You go for a day, for a week, you feel amazing. But then in a month, you adjust your spending, and you you're adjust your spending. Again. It's like yeah. okay, I'm back to 120, and, I, and and I'm still being overworked, and I'm still working damn hard for exactly. this. Exactly, money. I completely agree with that guy. I mean, I've seen that. Right. So it comes back to so it, again, it always comes back to engagement and culture. So then, as a business owner, you've got to say, well, what is intrinsically or internally going to motivate people 
not the external. So external is going to keep them satisfied because I'm getting the odd bonus or I'm getting great commissions or my, my salary is competitive. But what's internally going to keep me? That's the connections. That's the, that's the trust, communication and professional meaningful relationships. And I think, look, I think uh, people need financial progression as well. That is uh, essential. And, and, I mean, our team basically has financial progression every year. Mm. I couldn't think of anyone that wouldn't. Uh, and we have giant leaps too. They're too big. But, but and I say that openly to everyone. <laughs> but um, so, so it is essential because at the same time as we've got the – if the business grows and the business does well, the team grows and the team does well. Yep. I Everyone's believe. invested in the success. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think just as the owner, you should be doing that because people also need to see their finance going up. But that doesn't make them happy. And often when they're asking too much for it, like when when people ask, just start asking every six months, they're asking for more money. Just get rid of them. They're not the right. Fit. No, because no. They, there's something wrong. They're well, not happy. They're well, not happy with the camp. Something's going on. They're looking for other jobs because they want more money. They're already burnt. They're going to be talking badly to the other staff members. They're probably sharing what they get paid and asking what you get paid. See ya is what you should do. And fundamentally. What you're saying there is there's a values misalignment, mm. right? That their yeah, that's values, a nice way of saying it. <laughs> well, it is, and it, it's probably a very HR way of saying it, but but that's the reality, right? And But the practicality is everything you just talked about. Yeah, you want someone who – I love it when people say, for example, hey, I, I, I'd I love to do this. I'd love to start this and grow this or see what this can become. Because then they're basically – what they're saying to you is, I'm passionate and excited. I want to actually build something, achieve something. And of course, if I build that and achieve that and it does really well, then there will be a financial uh, return or be- benefit to me, which makes sense because you created an asset for the company or you created something that, that has value and therefore the, the, you get paid for that value in Absolutely. the same way a company provides value and gets paid for the value. Mm. So, so I love it when people do things like that or even when people say, hey, I really want to do well. What's a path forwards? That's nice too. Yeah. I like that too because it's like, you know, okay, you're not chasing a dollar. You're chasing personal growth and fulfillment. Absolutely. And, and I think that, again, the, 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 the value of, of having that meaningful conversation um, with, with that team member, it, it, like, it, it sounds so obvious and sounds so simple, but, but often they're hard conversations to have. But if you've developed – all of those key aspects, they're not so they're not so hard because it's like, hey, Daniel, can we sit down? Uh, I, I want to talk to you about me for a bit. Yeah. It's like, yeah, great, let's go for it. Where do you want to be? Yeah. That trust communication relationship that really yeah. is you, you'd call that kind of the fundamental base of your of building culture of building culture. Absolutely, yep. yeah, I agree. And and so tell me this: this is something I've I've seen before. So uh, people want to do more. Right, so people say, "I want this role. Mm-hmm. I, I want. I, can, can I be into this role? Can I move up or whatever?" And you want to be a good leader, and you like them, so you you let them. So you not let them. Sorry, it's not the right word, but you empower uh, them, empower them, and put them in the position where you know they've now progressed, or you give yep. them a time frame to accomplish something, and then they progress into that. What happens, because often people want to do things that they're maybe not yet capable of doing. Right. They don't realize that. Right. You probably know that, but you're like, mm, yeah, but you know what, They'll, they might grow. They get to that position, then they implode because you know, I can't. I, they, they all of a sudden they feel like they're letting people down, they're out of their depth. They're, how do you manage that? So how do you then appropriately progress someone in a safe manner that protects them? Because right. at the end of the day – the business is business. If you can't do it, I'm going to have to find someone that does. Yeah. So but think, for them, it's like, oh, now I'm screwed. No, you know, I'm in, I can't go backwards because I look bad. And and so really the business needs to say, okay, well, before I promote you or whatever that put you in a new thing, I need to make sure you're safe. Yeah. So appropriate planning is going to be key in that sort of stuff, right? Because particularly for small businesses, they can't afford to to be making such poor decisions. So I think that the, the planning, having – absolute job clarity, you know, what are the outcomes, making sure they've got the experience to be able to do that, that, that role. And, and, and they do want to stretch, like you do want to stretch them and challenge them. Absolutely. But making sure that they're not just going to be like completely drowning. Like, and what happens if they can't do it then? So if they can't do it, well, I would suggest that they should probably come get some advice. But I mean, the reality is that you're going to want to have to have a serious conversation and whether that be at least informally initially, um, to sort of say, hey, look, Daniel, 
we, we need to have a chat about how it's going. Um, so you've got to have checks checks in place. So you, you, you would, I would be recommending that you have the, the setup mechanisms in place. So let, let's check in after a week or two weeks. Let's check in after a month. Let's check in after three months. Let's just do regular check-ins. So there's informal check-ins. So there's no surprises, at least for the team member at, 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 at that level. And then after three months, if it's really not working, then do you need to escalate formally in terms of what's putting in, in, in technical terms, performance improvement plans, those sorts of things, with a design to get them improved, not as a design to get rid of them, mm. right? If ultimately that performance improvement plan didn't work and that's a formal mechanism, okay, then we, then we might need to have a different conversation about is this the right job for you? Is this the right place? Et cetera, et cetera. But I would 100% be putting in mechanisms in place where they're going to feel that, that, that you're looking after them, that there is some sort of um, support in place, both at a formal level and an informal level. And this, this also then leads to another area of what leaders need to be thinking about when they are leading their team. And they need to make their team feel, members of their team feel, I always work in threes, uh, safe, valued, and respected, right? So, what does safety look like? Safety looks like, well, I've got job security. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm physically safe because, you know, let's say we've gone through COVID, and I'm, and I feel physically safe in this environment. But psychologically, yeah, and I'm safe, not being bullied at the not being bullied, yeah, all, all, the, of all that. that is like, yeah, yeah. But also psychological safety. That psychological that I can bring up with you. Say, hey, listen, you've put me into this new job. I need to have, a, I need to have an honest conversation with you. I'm struggling a little. I'm going really well on these two things, but this one thing I'm just struggling with. Um, safe in in order to be able to mistakes are going to happen, right? And am I going to get persecuted for it? So there's that whole lot of safety issues, but feeling valued, right? So you talked about well, we've promoted them, so that's recognition tools, and and whether that again be informal recognition or formal recognition, like I might give someone more scope to do more projects and stuff that's outside the remit to test them before I give them full promotions or or different roles or running a completely different apartment, um, and then respecting is the re- respecting the fact that there's people in your team that know stuff about other things that you don't marketing sales operations whatever people around you that's why you, that's why you get try to get the best of the best because you're you respect their opinions you and you respect their expertise right and that's really 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 important so i think there's two aspects there's the technical aspect and operational aspect setting up those mechanisms but then also about how you as a leader are going to um, make them feel and and make them feel supported around that too and i think what i liked about what you said is you know the tech, so the technical uh, process shouldn't be viewed as oh, I need to formally do this mm. in order if I need to get rid of them. It should be viewed, uh, which I, I mean, I've always said that as the business owner, you're responsible for for, for people, and being a good person's half the battle. And if you just look at things as a good person, how can I help this person as opposed to how can I remove this person? Yeah, because helping this person. Uh, well, A, it's better, shows the rest of the team that that you're a good person too. But really at the end of that process, if they're still not right, then you're actually helping them by moving them on because they probably should find a different company. It's or not role. the right fit for them no, either. No, it's not. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Exactly. You, yeah. You've come to that natural sort of decision, hey, let's just let's just part ways, right? And you do that in a, in a good way. And what's interesting is under a le- from a legal perspective, there's actually nowhere in, in, in the Fair Work Act, which is the, the, the Governing Workplace Act um, or legislation in Australia, there's nothing that actually says you must give one, two or three warnings. So there's this misconception, this myth around I have to give warnings and then they can go. What, what the law talks about is that the is that the um, Are you term- sure? Hundred percent. Okay. That um, actually doesn't prescribe you must give warnings. What it says is that the that the termination can't be regarded as if they file for an unfair dismissal claim, can't be regarded as um, harsh, uh, unjust, or unreasonable. So, having those informal mechanisms, you're still providing structure around. Look, we've had two or three conversations about you not being able to be fulfilled. We recommend from a best practice perspective, absolutely you put things in writing and, and, and maybe have a warning or two, but there's nowhere specifically that says in the legislation, you must provide a first, a second, a third warning. Ball. I think that, yeah. So basically having some sort of structure is, yeah. is, 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 uh, is important. But I think also a, a whole SME owners fall into is 
perhaps because they have such strong relationships with team members, they don't put it in writing when they have the tough conversations. They don't. They don't keep good, good file notes. But I think mm. it's also even before all that happens, before all the sort of the, the proverbial hits the fan, it's going back to what we were talking about before. It's having the structures in place that you can ha- that, that you can measure. So having performance performance appraisals, right? Now that can be formally done every six months and you might have a, a bigger one, let's say every 12 months. But that doesn't prevent that doesn't prevent a meaningful conversation of check-ins and how you're going once a quarter or once a month because you would naturally do that so that there shouldn't be surprises at the point of six months and 12 months performance appraisal. But, but because you've had that regular Because you've had the regular. But the opportunity of the six or 12 months is to actually then reassess in terms of, okay, so how are you going with the role? Where do you want to be? What's the development? What sort of training do you looking for? What If, if you were to think ahead two years in two years' time, Daniel, where would you want to be? You can say, well, I'm here and I want to be there. Okay, so how are we going to help you get there? And that's the formal mechanism around that. And so can you talk us through how you would recommend then um, uh, companies doing uh, like a more formal um, performance review? Yeah. So so we um, – Because I feel like – that's like I said. That's a hole in SMEs. There's often yeah. not that formal process. So in we're actually performance review. we're actually going to be um, working with you guys around with Cub. Yeah, with Cub. Oh, good. So 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 what we're doing, for example, is we're putting in a mechanism where we're looking at the holistic at a formal level, at a holistic view of the person. So we're looking at a their individual performance. We're looking at their their leadership. Um, you'd be looking at uh, customer service because it's a it's a service providers. Um, and have a and have a whole bunch of tailored questions to that person and to their to their role in terms of making it meaningful to then actually have a meaningful discussion, right? Um, and part of that also, and you guys are really strong on that, is is values and integrity, right? So you would actually also assess that as their character or their the well values. as a, as a key criteria, mm. right? So you'd have four or five key criteria with set questions of you know maybe four or five questions underneath it. This is the way we design it. We think this is the most effective that works for small businesses, um, and 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 meaningfully get a a um, evaluation between say the direct manager and the team member, or in some cases if they're um, multifaceted, you might do what's called a three hundred and sixty, where you're getting all angles up, down, and side side. You mean that's like their boss, their their, yeah, their, their co-workers, reports, their, their co-workers. Yeah, yeah, it might also be other stakeholders, etc. To get a holistic view, um, but yeah, you and 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 that's the way we put in that mechanism. That that at least that's done at at a six monthly review, but we always say that doesn't diminish or it shouldn't um, stop those incidental conversations and also those monthly or quarterly conversations. So, sorry, say that again. So you would recommend at the minimum yeah. there be a formal six-month review, so meeting, mm-hmm. of which uh, is comprised of assessing people on their KPI performance, yep. on their values or their, I guess, cultural alignment. Behaviours. Behaviours. Yeah. And, and was there one more or was it those two? No, performance I, I, and I, culture. I think – uh, yeah, I, I think they sort of go together, right? So, so there's the perform- no, sorry, and th- and then also how they'd like to be progressing forwards and what they would like from the company to help them do that. You're going to so- bring that into the conversation, right? Yes. So, so you're going to bring in going, you know, wh- you're always going to have these. So, what have you achieved in the last twelve months? And you know, what now does the next twelve months look for you like, etc. But you want to have a development plan as well. You want to bring that in. So, do a review, but also what 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 next, right? Because Again, engagement, retention, you've just invested so much time and, and energy and so have they into your business. So how do we keep them going? What's the next level for them? You know? Yeah. So you're going to talk about the vision and the plans for your business and it's like, well, okay, so. Where do I fit? Where do where I fit? I going? And also yeah. you might not have the skill set. So what have we got to get in place for you? that's going to help you get to, say, the next level of leadership or something Yeah, and like I that. think you have to remember, because as a business owner, you are planning, you're, you, I mean, you're looking at the business and you're saying, okay, well, that's why it'll also be good for me. But your team need to do that too. They need to say, okay, well, that's where the business is going, but that's also why it's good for me. Mm-hmm. And and because you are the business almost, you need to work with them on on showing them, like, this is what – this. If we, this is how you're going to get to your next level and, and this is what it'll look like. Yeah. And over the past few podcast episodes, maybe the last 10, I don't know, this topic has been coming up a lot, but me and Laura were talking about it and we thought that um, 
uh, what, what did we call it, Laura? A path forwards, or what did you? It was like people need to know their path forwards. Otherwise, where are they going? What's the plan? Yeah, I, I know where the company's going, but where am I going? Mm-hmm. And we can never forget to to provide them that. But and I also think six months is great because it's not too frequent where yep. you're not going to do it. It's not not frequent enough where that it's going to be like a shock and surprise once a year that you're you're upset. Yep. And um, and the three things: performance, values, and moving forwards. That's I think right. are the th- a three ideal. What about the way people start with a company? Because right. that you would argue is also it's like when they that start with membership at Cub. The it's induction critical. is one of the most important things we I, can do. I, I, the, the whole onboarding process is critical to success with your team members, right? So when we're working with our clients, we help to design a ninety day process. So often. Small businesses, particularly small, medium businesses, are making the mistake of, well, I just need to make sure that they have the right equipment, they know where the bathrooms are, they know how the phones work, they know how the air conditioning turns on and off, and, you know, security measures, right? And there's your desk, and here's your remit, there's the phone, start making calls or whatever they have to do. And so we're very big on making sure that that experience over 90 days is key so that so that they've met every part of the business. They've got meaningful projects from day one. But onboarding also starts from before the, from before they get going. So you were talking about, for example, your, your interview process. You're already building um, an image for them of what working with Cubs going to be like, right? So And so you're getting them all excited because you're like, if you come and work with us, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah, we're good at that. That Exactly, right? But it's not. But it's not just lip service. Like you, you, you stand behind your passion. Right? And I've seen you talk. Like it's it's – it resonates. So it's taking that and building out a 90-day plan that over 90 days, this person's going to have been with you for three months and gone, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. I, I wished I'd have joined you guys two years ago when someone said, why don't you go and look at working with Cub or I had an opportunity to go and meet with them, right? So it's it's critical. So, so the onboarding process is actually a little bit different to induction because the induction is just sort of, you know. Once. Once. Here's, here's what you need to know, right? If you need to find out anything, just go and ask X, Y, Z. The onboarding is creating an experience. You're creating, again, using that word, that engagement, that, 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 um, that feeling of belonging uh, from the beginning, and it's critical to success. And so how and do we, you do that? What is that 90-day yeah, uh, involved? So, so we, we actually sit with the client and we customise the experience because we've got to tailor it to their business. So they might have different parts of their business. They they might, for example, be a, um, I don't know, uh, they might have an importing part of their business. They might have a retail part of their business well, and a warehousing Cub, part of their business. You're working with Cub right now? Who you work with? Alice. Yeah. yeah. And so let's use Cub. So if there's a 90-day process, how would you guys look at, look so, at doing that? So we'd want to understand exactly how to, the, the different parts of your business, right, Um what are the different functionalities within the business that people um, need to understand and ex- and be exposed to um, so that they can feel fully engaged so that if they're talking to a member, so they might not actually be involved with marketing or social media, but they understand 100% what, what Laura does and and they might not have to do that job, but, but we've got to create an experience where they're going to be able to sit with Laura, understand some of the projects that she's been working on, um, the history of sort of um, the company, the com- the company, all of that. Having exposure to you is really important. Having and that's one of the, the 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 critical factors that people miss in small businesses is not actually having access to the owner. It's like, well, they interviewed me and then I never saw them again because I was working with, uh, you know, a lower a lower supervisor. Yeah, and that's critical. That's so, a problem. So, so to answer your question, you build this ninety day plan that gives exposure to everybody with meaningful projects. But they want to finish the 90 days with um, feeling completely 100% competent towards the role, the company, the team, the culture. Yep. They, they, they just uh, – this like uh, and I'm comfortable now. Exactly. And and then to, to our earlier point from a couple of minutes ago, you're building in an appraisal system as well so that you're going to do the check-ins for, for the first three months each month. How are you going? How's it? And again, it could be informal. You don't have to create some formal, formal thing, but you can have some set questions around what are you liking? What aren't you liking? You know, how can we be better? How's your first month been? If we were to do this with somebody else, what would you recommend? What I also like is that if you've got a six-month probation period, mm. 
and you also want to see if they're capable of achieving the KPIs. The first three months you have is your um, onboarding process. Now, you're not expecting them to hit in the first three months what they're supposed to be achieving because they're still learning, they're still in training, they're still shadowing other people who may be the best at that and whatnot. But it gives you that that finality of the first three months. Okay, you know everything you need to know. You've been mm-hmm. trained. Yep. Uh, like they can confirm that. And then you can actually test their KPIs over the following three months um, and be like, okay, let's see if you, actually now you exactly. can achieve that before the point of which we reach. Um, but we would 100% recommend that in that first 90 days they've at least undertaken a project or two that they could have completed, mm-hmm. that they can feel satisfied that they have, you know, contributed already but you can also assess them against. It's like if it was, um, if they were in a sales role, you know, maybe you're supposed to make 10 sales a month and we're expecting you to do that once you're trained up. So from month four to, to six, you make, you from the, for month four onwards, you're making 10 sales a month. But you know what? In your first month, just make that first sale. Let's get, or just get comfortable. Month mm-hmm. two, make two sales. Or, but, you might, or for the first month, you might just shadow yeah. salespeople. Yeah. But right? so like yeah. progressing up. So yeah. they're still accomplishing something. They're still – and they're, feeling, they're get, building their confidence. Exactly. In, and it comes back again to that first 90 days is all about building the trust, professional, meaningful relationships with everybody that you're dealing with. And and in order to do that, you've got to have that, that open, honest, transparent, meaningful communication. Well, we do have to wrap up um, – yeah. It went faster than it, it did go quick. It, I told you that, didn't I? You really did. It flies. I don't know why. Sometimes it, it, some topics. I knew this would be a a big topic. Like we haven't even spoken about termination or any of the other things I want to talk to you about. But Let's I mean, do it we, again. Can do it, we can do it another yeah. time. But it goes fast. It's it weird. Really you know? does. It's like yeah. a time capsule. This room. It's been good. Um. Anyway. To our amazing listeners, if you want to find out more about Mr. Nick Hedges um, and his company, Resolve HR, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find out more information there, including book recommendations, greatest lessons in business. You can get in contact with him and much, much more. You can also find all about our, our other um, uh, guests we've had on the show. If you want to catch up with Cub on social, go to at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. Nick, thank you again so much for coming on today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. It was really great talking to you. Awesome. And to our guests, I hope you enjoy. Guess why today? And to our listeners, I hope you enjoy the show.